you to be here tonight. Amen? Amen. Are you all ready for this? Last week, we had communion weekend, and I, I heard a lot of words that affected me last weekend, particularly when they talked about remembering. And during the service, God spoke to me about what he wanted me to talk about tonight. So tonight, uh, before we get into any series of messages, and we're developing one right now, but tonight we're just going to bring to you uh, something that I'm very excited to share with you. And it's going to be called The Story of Ephesus. The Story of Ephesus. Now, if you don't have an outline and you want one, I'm sure we can get one to you. Uh, I think Bernie's got some there. If you put your hand up, somebody would be glad to get that to you. And uh, if you do, we're going to be working off of that outline and basically talk to you about a story. Everybody like stories? Um, this uh, city was established several, uh, several, several decades before we read about it in the Bible. But I want to talk to you about what happened there and how it can apply to us today. One thing that you're going to know is every time we preach the Word of God, we don't want to just give you information. We want to give you things that will impact you and cause you to take a good, hard look at your life and apply it. We are not people that are just trying to get smarter. We're trying to be people who are trying to draw closer to God. And when I look at the story of Ephesus, there's a lot of things I want to say about it tonight. But in beginning, let's talk about the name or the word story. Pastor Ryan, a while ago, talked about 3D Life Recovery tomorrow. And one thing that we do in 3D Life Recovery, we, we let people share their stories. See, everybody in this room, you have a story. Everybody here, you're either uh, God is, uh, you are right with God and you've got a past and now you're serving God and you've got a great future, or you're somewhere in, in that particular uh, scheme of things. Everybody does. And what we do in 3D Life Recovery is we let people come up and talk about this is where I was and this is where I am now. And everybody's got one of those. And I just want to say this, Sarah Jennings is giving her story tomorrow night. And if you've never heard that, you probably ought to come because I want to tell you it's a powerful story of God's power and grace. Tonight we're going to talk to you about the story of Ephesus. A story has an introduction, a body, and a conclusion. A story has a before a during, and an after. Many people, when they write stories and books and uh, movies and things, they have situation, complication, and resolution. Did you notice every movie has that? you got a situation, seems like everything's working out, and all of a sudden something goes wrong, and then the movie works toward a conclusion or a resolution. The same thing happened in Ephesus. So tonight, we're going to have several scriptures we're going to be reading, but let's start the story by saying in point one, that something is happening in this city, and we're going to talk about this being about the year 52 A.D. 52 A.D. In the scriptures, we read about Ephesus in Acts chapter 18 and 19, and when you get to Acts chapter 19, you read about some pretty amazing things happening in the city of Ephesus. Let's read together the scripture. It says, This became known of all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell among them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic 
brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. You know what's going on here? There's some good news going on here in Ephesus. 50,000 pieces of silver. Did I read that right? 50,000 pieces of silver. And they were just burning it. You know why they were burning it? Because they had determined that all of the things of the world could not compare with the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, you know you've got revival going on when people start turning loose of the cash. Amen? You know what I mean? When the basket goes around, you find reasons to put stuff in it, not trying to find a reason to get out the back door. Amen? You see, when you get right with God, you want to be a part of the kingdom of God. They took all of the things from their past and was bringing it up and burning it. Praise God. Wouldn't you like to see some things burned in our culture now? I'm not talking about cities, and I'm not talking about police precincts. I'm talking about some of these evil things in the world that is causing all of this trouble in the world. I think we'll just make a big bonfire, just get rid of some of it. Amen. So these guys were experiencing the good news. They had experienced God's power. You always know when God's good news and God's power has come upon somebody when they change their life. What in your life might need to be burned tonight? What is it you might be hanging on tonight that's going to move you away from experiencing the power of God's power? You see, these people, they had tasted that the Lord was good. And there was some good stuff going on in Ephesus. The Bible talks about this in 1 Corinthians 4.20, that the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. Talks about in Romans 14.17, that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Guess what's happening? The kingdom of God had come to this town. There's not a town in the world that is, uh, that is so far from God that God can't save that town. This place had a big temple to the, to the goddess Diana, and they were practicing occultic things. They were doing magic arts, and you might not think that's alive and well in America, but ladies and gentlemen, it's happening. I was studying in Books a Million yesterday, and I kid you not, a man and two women came in and sat down next to me, and the man took out his tarot cards and began to read to these ladies about their fortune, I, and I sat there the whole time with my earbuds in just praying. Just thinking, God, God, why don't you just take this guy and make him where he can't say anything, you know? Because I, I was just kind of surprised. It's just right out in front of the whole world. We are in a world right now where people are accepting and doing things of darkness. And ladies and gentlemen, when you get right with God, all of those things of darkness will go. These people were experiencing the power of God. And we need the power of God today. There's no temple to Diana here in Metropolis, but there sure is a lot of temples that need to be burned. Amen? There sure is a lot of things in our town that need to be put away and put back and out of here. Ladies and gentlemen, we're in trouble in Metropolis. We need the kingdom of God here. We need God's kingdom to come. And when God's kingdom come and people start turning loose of the 50 pieces of silver, we'll see things happen. Amen? You know, people spend money on things that, that are fruitless and frivolous and pointless and have no eternal value at all. I want you to know the only thing of eternal value that we got in here tonight is the Word of God and the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and what we can do in the kingdom of God tonight. Amen. So they were living by the great commandment. Y'all remember the great commandment? You see, the things we focus on here at Eastland Life Church, we focus on the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. The Great Commission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, 
no matter where they are, who they are, or how they are, and give them the good news of Jesus Christ. And the great commandment is the other part of that, where Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what the kingdom of God looks like. Kingdom of God, when it comes to you, it changes you from the inside out. And something happens inside of you, you start loving. You see, if you didn't start learning how to love when the, when the kingdom of God came upon you, I don't know what happened to you, but when God's spirit comes into you, the fruit of the spirit, the very first one that Paul mentions later on is the spirit, is the fruit of what? It's love. And if you don't have the love of God in your heart, I don't know what you have. That's the first thing that happens. But you know what happens in churches that have been around for a long time, and we've been in this for a long time? We tend to drift away from that thing called love. They were living by the great commandment. They were living by it. And what does the great commandment say? Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Can you all say that? Heart, soul, mind, strength. But what does that mean? Maybe you can quote it. But do you know what it means? Let me give you some suggestions. The kingdom of God is loving God, and you love God first with the affections. First with the affections. That's the heart. That means your heart is filled with God. I mean, this is relational, right? Anybody out here got anybody in your life that you love? If you love them, you've got them in your affections. You've got them in your heart, right? The person is near and dear to your heart. You'd also love God with your attention. That's where he says, love God with your mind. In other words, you're thinking about that person often. Could you make a case that you think that you love somebody if you never think about them? Think about that. When you love God, you love him with the affections. You love him with your thinking. You think about him a lot. How much have you thought about God today? Hmm, think about that. Let me put it to you another way. One thing that we've got here at Eastman Life Church, we've got a wonderful worship service. There is something for everyone to connect with in this worship service. We sing all kinds of songs. I mean, all kinds of different styles because we just love music and we just love God. And, and if we're singing about God and you're in love with God and the affections get stirred, then you start to express that to God. Now, I know some people say, well, I just don't have any emotions. Uh, that's not true. You just aren't aware of your emotions. Because God created you in his image, and God is Father, Son, and Spirit, and you are uh, uh, body, soul, and spirit. And in your soul, there's the mind, the will, and the heart. You do have emotions. And when you really get right with God, God will stir those emotions. You guys felt it tonight. I saw you. When, that, when, when uh, Comer sang that last song and you all jumped up, I'm like, there's a little heart going on out there. Amen? I love that kind of stuff. I love to get close to God. Some of you out there wiping tears and stuff when you think about what, how good God's been to you. Don't ever stuff that down. When you do that, you are quenching the Spirit of God. We're to love God with the affections, with the attention, and we love God with our abilities. That's our strength. In other words, we do things. We seek after God. We seek the person. Have you sought God today? Or did you get up and just kind of go through the day and just maybe God just kind of waved at God, you know? You're getting in the car, you're busy, and you're moving around. God's over there. Hey, God, good to see you today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being my Savior today, but I'm busy. When you're in love with God and you're living according to the kingdom of God, it's that you are seeking him all the time. You love God with your all. That's your soul. 
From the deepest part inside of you, the most important thing in your life is your relationship with God. This is the kingdom of God. It's loving God. This is what was going on in, uh, in uh, Acts chapter 19. They were experiencing this kind of life. And I want you to know that a few times in my life in ministry, I've been around churches that actually did this. I think we're really close here, don't you think? Don't you think we're really close to living this way? If we're not living this way, then tonight is the night to get this way. Why in the world would you want to waste your life? On frivolous things, what's more important than God? 50 pieces of silver? I think not. So anyway, we see some things are happening in this city, and then about 10 years later, someone wrote a letter. As we carry on with the story, somebody wrote a letter, and that's the Apostle Paul. And we read in the book of the Bible called Ephesians what Paul wrote to this church about A.D. 62. We spent the last, what, 10 weeks 12 weeks doing spiritual warfare, Ephesians 6. If you guys haven't memorized Ephesians 6 yet, where it talks about the, the uh, spiritual warfare and putting on the armor of God, then there's not much hope left for us, amen, because we've done it and done it and done it. Our man church, we did it with Tony Evans. Now we're doing it again with Chip Ingram. And if that doesn't work, we're going to bring somebody else in until we finally get it, amen? The Apostle Paul in Ephesians wrote Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 about how to believe, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 about how to behave. Why did he do that? So we can experience and practice and do the things of the kingdom of God. Amen. So and when he wrote this letter, there's something very uh, uh, noted there in Ephesians 6, 23 and 24. Let me put it on the board for you. It says, peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Leave that there for a minute, guys. Uh, go that, that other scripture again. Go back there. He says, peace to the brethren. Anybody need that tonight? Anybody need that tonight? And he says, uh, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It sounds like he's blessing the church, right? And then he goes on to say something in the next verse. Let's go ahead and put the next verse up there. He says in verse number 24, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. I want you to focus on that for a minute. Grace be on those uh, who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. Ladies and gentlemen, there's something to be said about this incorruptible love. It means love that does not diminish. Dr. Robertson from Robertson Words Pictures uh, pointed that out. I was trying to get to that word there, and I looked at it, and I thought, what does that mean? It means simply love that does not diminish. It's love that is there all the time. You see, what Paul is saying is that you will live under the constant grace of God as you love the Lord Jesus Christ with a love that does not diminish. Are you, are you hearing me? As your love for Jesus diminishes, probably you're going to experience less of his grace in your life. Now, his grace knows no bounds, and his grace is with us every morning. His mercies are new every day. But I'm telling you, there's something about when the Bible says when you do certain actions that certain things from God comes your way. Like the Bible says, God resists the, the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, I want that grace, amen? So it's important for me to take my old stinking pride and humble myself because I need God's grace over my life. And in this particular case, Paul makes a statement to the church. And he says the grace is going to be about those who love God with love that does not diminish. Have any idea what that means? What do you think that means, love that does not diminish? That you keep loving him with the same strength that you did before. Ah, 
Now we're getting to the crux of the story, aren't we? Why is Paul saying this? It's been 10 years. The church has been there, and Paul is writing to them. And he doesn't really correct them very much, but he makes sure that he includes this at the end of the letter, that the grace of God will be about those who love God with a love that does not diminish. So what we see here now is the kingdom of God has come, and the church has assembled. We have a church Wherever the kingdom of God comes, what the kingdom of God seeks to do is establish a church or churches to carry out the business of the kingdom. God is not into us growing churches. He's into us being people of the kingdom of God. And as we work the kingdom of God, our churches grow. That's the way it works. So here we've got it. The kingdom has come and the church has assembled. So that's the letter. We forward it now about 30 years. Next part of the story is that something's wrong. Here comes the complication. Something's wrong. How do we know something's wrong? Another letter. Do you guys realize that in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus wrote a letter to this same church? The church that had revival and people were burning their magic books. And Paul says, grace be to those who love God with a love that does not diminish. Now, 30 years later, Jesus is writing to the church. What does he say? We'll put it on the board. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right. In other words, to the messenger of the church, to the pastor of the church, to the leaders of the church, Jesus is writing. He he describes himself, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's a a picture of who Jesus as the head of the church is. But this is what he says. This is the story that gets furthered on 30 years later. He says, I know your deeds and your toil." And your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and that you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. Wait a minute, Brian, I thought you said something was wrong. That sounds like a great church, doesn't it? Can we, can we re- rewind that a second? Look at, the wor- look at the works of this church. What does he say? I know your deeds. I want to tell you, I've pastored over 30 years, and some churches I've pastored had no deeds at all. They thought they were doing God's service just by showing up. He says to this church, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. Man, that sounds like a great church. Sounds like after 30 years, they have gotten the message. And he says, you test those who call themselves apostles and find them that they are not. And you found them to be false. Man, this sounds good. What what is going on here? This church is busy. This church is persistent. This church is laboring. And this church has believed right. I dare say a lot of people in Christendom would love to have that church on the corner of their neighborhood. Busy. They're not sitting around doing anything. Laboring. They're working hard. Persistent. Persevering. They don't quit. They don't give up. And they believe right. They had pure doctrine. Wonder if that would be us today. I'd say we're a busy church. I'd say we've got laborers in the church. Wouldn't you? I'd say this church is doctrinally pure. Wouldn't you? They were busy, persistent, laboring, and they believed right. But you know what? Jesus has something very stern to say to them. 
But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Back 30 years ago, Paul said, Grace be on those who love God with a love that does not diminish. And here Jesus says, your love has diminished. Pretty stern. Now I can see people saying, but, but Jesus, I'm working. Jesus like, it's not about that. But Jesus, I'm doctrinally pure. It's not about that. Oh, goodness. I could talk about that for hours. How people in churches love to kick it around and argue about theology all the while they do absolutely nothing. And they don't love people. There are some people have, that have PhD on the back of their name that love to just find people like us and criticize us because maybe they see something different than we do. People are like that, doing nothing. This church has deeds, but lost their desire. This church had the doctrine without the devotion. This church knew the truth, but they stopped seeking the truth. And Jesus is not happy with them. Most of us would think, God, you ought to be happy. I mean, I'm doing it, aren't I? Let's, let's, let's put this into a context. Do you know that Jesus is referred to as the bridegroom and we are referred to as the bride? Now put this in a marriage. Put this in a marriage context. Well, I'm still with you, aren't I? I'm still here. Well, I'm not doing anything wrong. Well, I'm not quitting. They knew the truth, but they stopped seeking the truth. You see, the relational thing of heart, soul, mind, and strength is true in all of life. Affections, attention, ability, and all. That's first love. When you diminish that, you pull away from that. And we tend to cover up the fact that our love for God is not what it used to be by doing something. First love. How do we lose it? How did this church go from burning their magic books to Jesus says, you have made this now literally a business. You're doing all the right things. But Jesus doesn't want your activity he wants your affections. He wants your heart. Because when, you have, when he has your heart, then your works will be pure. Do you think that all works are the same? I mean, you can do something for somebody, but you can do it, do it with a wrong motive. Am I right? So how do you know if the work is true? You judge it by the motive. In fact, the Bible says that all of us will stand at the judgment seat of Christ one day and he will test our works by fire. What is fire looking for? Looking for the motive. Looking for why we do what we do. Might seem hard to believe that some people are in the church just for what they can get out of it. 
God's looking for people to come into the church for what they can put into it. And see, when you put into it, then you get out of it. It didn't sound right, did it? When you put into it, you get out of it? No, you get something out of it. Does that make sense? You see, when you give with the right motive, then it comes back to you. But if you give just for what you get, you haven't done anything. Plate went around a while ago. I didn't see anybody stand up and say, I got a $1,000 check. I'm about to put it in. Nobody here would do that. First of all, not many of you have $1,000. But nobody would do that here. But there are some people that make a show out of what they give or show out of what they do. Some people do that. They make a show out of what they do in the kingdom of God. They do it with the wrong motive. How do we lose the first love? This is where I want you to write these things down first. First love is lost when we lose focus. First love is lost when we lose focus. We start looking somewhere else. I hear people in relationships th say things like, well, we just grew apart. I don't think so. I think you just lost focus. You're not focused on the person that you were once seeking. And when it comes to God and God's kingdom, we must seek God first. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And then everything you need will be added to you. I think many times that becomes way too risky. And we start seeking what we need to, to live and hope that God will tag along. God will not take second place. God wants first place in your heart. Can you imagine saying, well, concerning me and Jesus, we just grew apart. <laughs> Good luck with that one. We lose first love when we allow competing love. Something looks better. People do this in relationships all the time. Something looks better. The grass looks greener. There's a better option. And when it comes to Jesus, something does look better sometimes because when we're in that point of discipline it doesn't feel very good does it how many of y'all like it when God is disciplining you when God puts you in the hard place you might not think anything good is happening but what you're doing is you're learning how to love God in that hard place you guys know that we have a five-year-old and a three-year-old in our house right now and uh, I have the bruises to prove it and one of the things that we try to do with them is we provide discipline. They don't always get what they want when they want it. What would happen if they did? They wouldn't grow, and they wouldn't learn anything about love. They would only learn to be a narcissist. And when you raise children, you have to provide boundaries and discipline. And we're the same. We're God's kids. And sometimes we're in the middle of the hard stuff, the fire. And it hurts. And sometimes we think God's not there, don't we? But if you will just focus on God and remember that there's not anything better, that 50 pieces of silver and that book you burnt years ago is not better than where you are now. And I'll just go ahead and say this. A lot of people say it's so hard to serve God. I will tell you it is harder to serve the devil because our God loves us. And we always triumph in God. When you have the devil, you have nothing to look forward to. We allow competing love. What's the other thing? 
First love is lost when we take it for granted. First love is lost when we take it for granted. Marriages begin to fail when we take it for granted. This is called relational coasting. It's like we got the deed done, we're married, we're family or whatever, and we just kind of run through life now on cruise control. That's why when something happens like later on, we're so surprised. How did that happen to us? I have yet to have any couple stand before me and I say, are you willing to do this? Are you willing to do this till death do you part? No one has said, I got to think about that a minute. Nobody has said, I'm going to do this until it doesn't feel good again. But yet, later on when we're coasting, we're surprised that it's not what it used to be. Your relationships and your relationship with God has to be constantly fueled. You have to constantly go after it. You can't coast on this thing. You know, we're saved, and we believe once you're saved, you're saved. That is true. Once you're in covenant with God, you're never out of covenant with God. No matter what you do. It, look, if you didn't want to be saved, you shouldn't have done it in the first place. Because now you're saved. Right? But you're saved. But what we do is because we're saved, and some people say things like, you know, you know God's sovereign grace saved me, now I'm forever saved, and I'm here and all this. But we, we, we coast to that relationship, and it just gets difficult. And Satan comes to us and says, there's something better. There's something better. You've got to seek your relationship with God. Look, people are surprised when relationships break down because they don't work at it. People get surprised that one day they look up and say, you know what, I'm not as close to God as I used to be. And then because we're human, you know what we want to do? We want to blame well, if God wouldn't have let this happen to me, I wouldn't be so far away from God. Not true. You and Jesus did not grow apart. You walked the wrong way. And in the middle of it, you turned around. We lose it when we take it for granted. We lose it when we treat it as common. When we treat it as common. Blake talked about this, and Dave talked about this last week. We don't come to the communion service and treat it as common. It's not common. Can I tell you something? Your worship tonight, don't treat it as common. Don't just come in to check the box, I worshiped this week. And don't come in to, okay, I did it, I stood, I didn't like the song very much. Or Man, I don't like that song, I don't like that, that music, I don't like that, that, that singer, I don't, like, I don't like that preacher, I don't like, I mean, come on. This is not a business where we're looking for people to come in and, and critique. We are just people put here to serve God. And we're here tonight to worship. If there was no sermon tonight, we could still worship. If there was no music tonight, we could still worship. This is a special time. Look, it's Saturday night. There's a few empty seats over here, but it's not common. There's a few empty seats, and we could say, well, maybe some people decided to go somewhere else tonight. I don't know what someone else decided, but here's what I know. It's Saturday night. I'm ready to worship. Does that make sense? I mean, we have gathered the people together to worship. It's not common. This is uncommon. This is special. 
when you treat it as common, you're in trouble. I guess first love is lost when we forget. It's lost when we forget. You have lost your first love when you do what you do because you have to instead of because you want to. Say it again. You've lost your first love when you do what you want to, when you do what you do because you have to instead of because you want to. I'm going to give you something right here. Jesus in Revelation 2:4 didn't say you have lost your first love. He didn't say it like that. He said you have left your first love. First love is not lost. You didn't fall out of love with Jesus. You left it. It's a volitional, willful act where at some point in our life we decided to go on cruise control. Ladies and gentlemen, something's wrong in Ephesus. And Jesus said you have left your first love. So sometimes we need an evaluation. We've had the situation, we've had the complication, now it's time for the evaluation. Jesus in Revelation 2 says that we should remember. He said, therefore, remember from whence you have fallen. Remember. Can I get you to do something tonight? Tell me what it was like when you became a Christian. Tell me what it was like when Jesus flooded your soul. You remember that old hymn? Come on. Heaven came down and what? Glory filled my soul. Y'all remember that? I mean, we used to sing when we all get to heaven and people would get up and shout. Because we're singing about something that's very real. It's not just when we all get up to heaven. Heaven is already coming to me. And it's changed me from the inside out. Jesus says, remember. Remember when you couldn't wait to get up and come to the house of God. Remember when you got up in the morning, you couldn't wait to get into the Word of God. You couldn't wait to get into your prayer book. You couldn't wait to do your, your journaling. You couldn't wait to study and pray and spend time with God. When it was time to come to men's group, you couldn't wait to get there. When it was time to come to 3D Life Recovery, you couldn't wait to get there. Instead of now, it's like, I got to do it because I got to do it. Every one of us is the same. If you feel a little convicted tonight, you're in good company because we've all done it. But what the message is tonight is to evaluate. Remember where you once were. Remember. And then he says that someone needs resolution. Here's what he says. Repent and do the deeds you did at first. But I thought they were doing all the deeds. They were doing all the deeds without the devotion. They were doing all of their works without the desire. They are doing the disciplines, but it was merely by rote rather than with the heart. What God's calling us to do, Eastland Life Church, as we get ready to go into the summertime, don't go on relational coasting with Jesus. Don't go on uh, auto control. Don't hit the cruise control this summer. Think about where you were. Think about what it was like. And tonight, make the commitment to come back to that. Jesus says, repent. You know what repent is? It's really simple. Look, you don't have to conjure up the emotions tonight. You don't have to conjure up the heart. All you have to do is make the decision. God will do the rest. You come before God and say, God, that's where I was. This is where I am now. I want to go back to where I used to be. Repent and do the first deeds. 
We need the church to be filled with the kingdom of God this summer. We've got big things we want to do, and it's going to take time. It's going to take energy. It's going to take heart. It's going to take resources. We want to help people in our community that have no one else to care for their soul. What if you don't repent? There's something called removal. Look what he says. Removal for the proud, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lapstand out of its place unless you repent. What does that mean? It means that the church can die. Do you know that by A.D. 200, there was no church in Ephesus anymore? And do you know that there's nothing that says that couldn't happen here on 3rd Street? Everything that God's done for us in the last two years, we can turn around one day and it all be going south. Why would God do that? Because God wants our heart more than anything. You repent, and when that happens, there's a reward. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him that overcomes, I will give, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Did you ever notice that when you were in that bad place, you didn't feel like you were living anymore? Life is just hard. I want my life back. That life is available for you right now. And one day we get to eat of that tree. I don't know what it looks like. But Jesus said that's what's going to happen. To those who repent, there's a reward. You get to live now. You get to live then. And therefore you can rejoice. What's the call tonight for us? Situation. Complication. Evaluation. Resolution. What do you need to do tonight? Is there a decision you need to make tonight? You need to decide to come back to the Lord the way you did? Stop the auto control. Stop the cruise control. Make the decision. Let's come back after him again.